So if you uh, <coughs> were on a remote stretch of uh, highway with a flat tire, <laughs> you might opt to call some service uh, like AAA or a service station or a tow truck rather than change the tire yourself, especially if you've never done it before. And I think there are probably lots of people who've never had that pleasure before. But if after calling uh, a number of places, you were told that uh, because you're so far out in the sticks, the soonest anyone will be able to get to you is three hours, well, you might decide at that point not to wait and that you're going to attempt defeat yourself. You know you have a spare somewhere, <laughs> And uh, and then you're not quite sure how, where it is or how to get it. You're going to try, and you know that you have a jack, and you're sure of that too, but, but you know it comes in a couple of pieces with it, and you're not certain exactly what they do, but you might guess what they do when you try. And uh, what you need right then in that situation, you know, is not so much motivation... I mean, you already want the flat tire fixed so you can get on your way, and you don't want to wait three hours for that to happen. And you really don't need anyone to tell you the truth about the situation. I mean, you know you have a flat tire, and you already know that because you experienced it uh, just before you pulled over the road. What you really need right then is information. You need to be told or shown how to change a tire. You need that process explained to you from the beginning to the end. Now, you could call a friend and have them talk you through it, or you could Google it on your smartphone or look it up on YouTube on that same phone, but you need to turn somewhere to get the help you need. And what you need is information, and you can get it from any one of those sources. Now, once you have it, that information can motivate you to change a tire. It can encourage you to try. Uh, you may say to yourself, well, maybe it's not so hard. I really think I can do this. But before you can do anything else, you need that information first. So what we're going to talk about today is kind of like that. We're going to talk about something, um, someone actually, in order to impart some information, and I hope the information may motivate you uh, to, to change maybe the way you think or live. But the first thing we have to do is we have to impart that information. So uh, we're going to look at something that is more than just merely information. And what we're going to see this morning is the truth, and not just one of the many facts that are true, which maybe any people in the world might agree with. And we're not even going to just look at those truths at which we might call Christian, but we're going to look at a central fact of reality, which our Heavenly Father and His Son, our Savior, Jesus, intends that we understand and embrace. We're going to talk once again this morning about the Holy Spirit. And specifically, we're going to talk about his relationship to the church. Before I do that, there are three things that I really need to briefly explain or address before we go on so that you and I are going to remain in the same ballpark, the same field. The first one that I need to talk about is that right now, 
right now, in all likelihood, there is a spiritual battle going on in our midst. Or if it's not happening now, the enemy has been busy attacking or trying to hide the truth or both of those things before you came here this morning. And he will resume the same when you leave this place. Personally, I can tell you that I have found what maybe is the greatest resistance I've ever experienced for a particular set of messages in this short series about the Holy Spirit. And I really would appreciate you if you would keep me in your prayers. See, I believe that Satan uh, can keep these truths, if he can keep these truths of the Holy Spirit hidden from us, or once hearing these things, If he can keep us from learning to walk in and with the Spirit, if he keeps us from putting it into practice, he will have won a great victory over us and against the kingdom. And that's the first thing we need to realize, that there really is a spiritual battle that's going on over this matter. And the second thing is, I think, closely related to the first one, and that is that there really is a great deal of confusion in Christian circles, no less, about the Holy Spirit. Now, I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating again. There are those who are enamored with certain gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, what many refer to as sign gifts, and they talk a whole lot about the Spirit. And yet, unfortunately for many of them, the Spirit is merely a means to get what it is that they want. And those things they want or those certain gifts or or what may even be worse that things uh, of this world such as a material wealth and that's one group of people then there's uh, those who are almost virtually ignorant about the spirit and I have to confess to you that for 20 years of my life as a believer I was in that latter group my doctrinal stance uh, was biblical and correct, but my understanding was really merely intellectual and not personal. That is, it really didn't reach my heart, and it didn't affect, for the most part, the way that I live. And I, like uh, many other believers, paid a kind of a, a mere lip service to the Spirit, acknowledging the fact of its existence while ignoring the truth about his desire to be at work in our lives. And what Satan has done in these two groups has been really very effective. He's managed to get each of these groups to see the failings of the other group, or at least what they think is the failings of those other groups. And as long as they're doing that, as long as one group is looking at that other one, or this one is looking at this one over here, as long as they're doing that, to see then they're not examining themselves, which would be a really profitable thing if they did that, spiritually speaking. And they're not really going to grow in their knowledge of the faith and truth as long as they do that. And so what we want to do here today, what we have been attempting to do, is to clear up some of these misunderstandings about the Spirit and learn something about the truth concerning Him. Which brings me to the third thing we need to mention uh, before we turn to our topic today, and that is what maybe we can refer to as the personhood of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit... And again, last week or the week before, we talked about it's not merely a force 
or power like some kind of spiritual electricity. He's not a kind of a mist or vapor with real no, no real substance. It's true he is a spirit, just as God the Father is a spirit, and just as the Son was until he took on human form. But like both the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is a person. And every bit as real as the Father and as real as Jesus Christ. He is, and may I put it this way, please. He is a member of the Trinity. And that's why talking about him is talking about a central truth of reality. You see, before anything existed, there was God. So that we can say with complete truthfulness, in the beginning there was God and nothing else. And so God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit lived and loved one another before anything was created. What we refer to as the Trinity is the ultimate reality. And it's what we live in. It's what has made this world. It is the base and the ground of all being. Now, the Holy Spirit, as a matter of the will of the Father, is to be part of our lives as believers, just as it's the Father's will that we should come to salvation through the work of the Son, and it is only through his work that we can be saved. So it is his will that we live the Christian life in the power of the Spirit and only by him can we so live. Just as we cannot save ourselves, we need Christ to do that so we can't live the life that we've been called to without the Spirit. We simply cannot do it. And it's this last truth that helps us to know why we need to talk about some of these things. Jesus put it this way, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. After the resurrection, Jesus instructs his disciples to wait for the empowerment of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Simply put, you and I need the Holy Spirit and we need his work in our lives. And knowing that is one of the first steps on our journey to a full and meaningful relationship with him. So our topic today is the Holy Spirit in the church. And no matter what some people might say or think, God is at work in our world through the church. And the Spirit is at the center of all of that. The text we're going to look at to help us uh, on our way is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And the church, you understand, at that time, really was a new thing in the world. Some people talk about the church in the Old Testament. Uh, You may have heard preachers or theologians or Bible teachers talk about it, talk about the church in the Old Testament. And what they mean by that was specifically the Israelites and those Gentiles who joined them. But there are significant differences 
between those two things, such as the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us and never leaves us, which makes us the very body of the living Christ. And we inhabit uh, the reality of that while the, the law was only a shadow of the good things to come. And so when Paul was talking to the Ephesians about the church, he's telling them about something that had not existed before Christ came. He's telling them things that they could not otherwise have known or guessed. And one of the things that he tells them found in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22 of Ephesians, and we read there is this, in him, meaning Jesus, the whole building joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Of course, you and I understand that Paul's not talking about a a physical structure like we're in right now. He's not talking about something like this room or this building that we often refer to this as a church. It's really just a kind of of a shorthand. We understand what the church really is, don't we? It's it's not made of wood or brick or stone, but it's made of the people of God. Apostle Peter puts it this way, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. The people the apostle wrote to needed to be taught about the church because it was something brand new in the world and there's nothing else like it we need to be taught that too we need to understand that too the church is nothing else like it in the world and so paul goes on to tell us about it when he says in verse 22 again ephesians and in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which god lives by his spirit and this is where it starts to become more pertinent and interesting, I think, to us. One of the things we discover from this text is that the Holy Spirit lives in the church. Paul uh, puts it this way, we, the church, become a building, us, you and I, together as we gather here on a Sunday. We become this building, a dwelling, and God lives in that dwelling, and he lives in it by his Spirit. This is, again, one of those fascinating truths we find in Scripture. The Holy Spirit lives in every one of us. You understand that. If you put your faith in Christ, he lives in us. Yet he also lives in the church. It reminds me of the idea of Jesus being present with us. You know, we've talked about this before. and So we know about Jesus, right, that he's God and God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere at all times and There's no place where he's not. We all understand that, right? But we also know something else, don't we? We know that he is with the believer in a way he's not with the unbeliever. That is, he lives in us, right? Christ lives in us. And yet, that doesn't say all there is to say. For we, as believers, may be closer to God at some times than at others, even though he lives in us, right? James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But Jesus added another layer when he says when two or three gather in my name there I am in their midst you see when we gather as a church Christ is in us through the spirit in a way in which he is not with us at other times 
And that truth is true. It's the same truth about the Holy Spirit. You see, as God, the Holy Spirit is everywhere at all times. But he is in the believer in a way he is not with the unbeliever. And we can be filled with the Spirit, or we can grieve him or even quench him. But when we gather as a church, he manifests himself in a way in which we cannot know him at other times. Let me put it this way. Those times when you come here, or when maybe you're at another church, and you especially experience the presence of God, what you're experiencing is the Holy Spirit. He's manifesting himself to you. Of course, knowing him is knowing the Father and the Son, but the Spirit is at times like that in direct fellowship with you. And and when we come together, we're like this building where God lives by his Spirit. And you show me something else in all of creation that is like that. There simply isn't anything. It's absolutely unique. And as amazing as that is, there's still more going on when we come together. You see, God is in the process of building us. Verse 22, again, but this time, look at it in New American Standard. It says, in whom, meaning Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling of God (coughs) in the Spirit. So the NIV says, uh, built to become the dwelling, but we really already are. The translation there, the NIV, is simply trying to capture the idea that even though we are the building of God, we're not all that we are, uh, should be. And, and it might be misleading if you think that as a church we're not yet the dwelling of the Spirit. We are, but we still haven't arrived. Now, I know I've said it before, but it's true. When we come here, or when any believer anywhere gathers with his or her church, we get more than we bargained for. Whatever purpose you might have had in coming here today or any other Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, God's intention is that we become, in the fullest sense of the word, but truth, the church. Is he is at work in our life individually and as a church. We should know that work is going on all around us. And that verb even in there indicates that he is building us. It's a process that is going on every Sunday when we gather together. And we should know that from our experience, too. I think this ought to give you a sense of just how important it is to be here in church. You know, I, I, I resist with everything that's in me of saying you should be here every Sunday. Because <laughs> I don't ever want to turn this into some kind of a legalism. God meets with us here. That ought to mean something to us. And and he is at work right here, right now, in this room. And he's doing something that doesn't happen anywhere else in your experience. What really you ought to get our attention really is is that God is at work in your life at all the time, but there's some things he really does only do when we come here together, when we gather as a church. 
And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But as a kind of summary of the importance of the Spirit's role in our life as a believer, we recall it is God's will to save us by Christ and his work on the cross. And we can't save ourselves. It's also his will that we live the Christian life in the power of the Spirit. Without him, we can't do it. Galatians makes that idea clear. I'll just read it to you. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? God is at work in us. And we need to know it's the Holy Spirit who use, whom Christ uses to build the church. We are not the builders. We're the ones who are being built. We're the ones that God is working and making into something like nothing else in all of creation. When we come together as a church, God indwells us in a special way. So just what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, first thing we can say, uh, which we've already said, is that God manifests himself in a different way when we're here than when we're alone. So we discover things about God which aren't knowable outside of the church setting. Just as you might know a man from your workplace or maybe your neighborhood. And and maybe you know him and you've kind of become pretty good friends with him. But you learn an awful lot more about him. You see a different side of him when you see him with his family or with his other friends or even in his church. And you come here and you see aspects of God in this church setting which are not seen in other settings. Now, you may not realize that because you've been coming to church for so long and you have kind of been adapted to it. But there are things that God reveals about himself here that you will not see anywhere else. And, and, and in addition to that, God reveals himself through our brothers and sisters. I mean, we see God as he interacts with them. So in a sense, we can see how God interacts with us, how he works in our life. When we see it in someone else's life, we see it from another perspective. As we see God reveals himself to us in a way we don't see him anywhere else. We can see him working in the lives of our brothers and sisters, but, but we can see him also in and through them. You see, each one of us is small. Individually, you know, we don't display all of God, who God really is. But you see, when I'm with uh, Frank Day, Brad Martin, Brian Burnell, Webb Lipper, James Schroeder, Mike Brown, Jim Rayner, all all of those, especially those people, those men who are in leadership, for me, especially those men, as God is called to serve this church. But then there's also the people like Ginger and Sue and Robin and and I see I see God in them, you see. I see things in them which I wish were in me. I see aspects of God revealed in the flesh, in in people like me and yet not like me, in ordinary human beings who are at the same time being transformed into the image of God. And what I see becomes more than just some kind of words or formula 
but a living and breathing truth. See, God is at work here. He's showing us himself, revealing himself to us in ways we wouldn't see him otherwise. He's building us together. He's making this, not this building, but us, a spiritual home where he will live in the Spirit. And he's uniting us. He's uniting our hearts together. You see, we're to love one another as Christ loved the church. And in order to do that, we have to live together. The church becomes the intimate expression of our life together, where we may really love one another on an ongoing basis, much like a a family, which might seem, in a sense, mundane and ordinary, but it's family. That's also why divisions within the church are, are such a terrible thing. Is that of its passage in, in uh, my mind where Peter says uh, to the people he was writing to, he says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply and from the heart. So I have this picture in my mind of, of two people sitting on an airplane that they've never met before, and as they talk, they discover that they're Christians. And and there's this bond that begins to form in them. They share something wonderful and special that's bigger than they are. And it's not too much to say that there's really a sincere love that develops. But that plane is flying to your city. And it turns out that man that has been sitting next to you is moving into the house next door to yours. And now you're going to hear his dog barking hear his kids fighting and maybe him and his wife and that's when you need to love that person deeply and from your heart you know it's so easy for a preacher to come in at one spot and share something everybody says wow isn't that great but I'm here every Sunday you know me you know I'm just a person you know I'm I'm small, I'm little. If anything good comes here, it's because of Christ. God is teaching you and I how to love one another. You know, we come here, he speaks a particular message to a particular people, to a particular place in a particular time. And that message comes to us through the Spirit. We learn that among, from among other places in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. And Christ addresses uh, each of the churches, and he speaks to the angel of the church, right? So here you go, guys. Now I'm going to make a claim to be an angel. And that word angel means messenger. And I believe that God speaks to the messenger or the pastor of the church and gives them a message particular message for that church. We see that in Revelation. Every one of those churches were addressed individually by Christ in a way that they needed to hear. And each message concluded by saying this, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, the church as a body needs to hear, but also each 
person within that body needs to hear that same message. And what happens is, as we obey this message, then the individual is enabled and he or she grows and becomes more like Christ. But as the church obeys that message, the church enables us to live more fully as Christians. And as we live more fully as Christians, then our church is empowered, becomes more fully what it should be. God is more fully revealed to the world around us. You remember the lampstands in Revelation, don't you? There were seven of them, and Jesus was amongst them. The whole purpose of the lampstand was to cast light on Christ to reveal him to the world around them. That's what we're to do. And you and I, by ourselves, cannot do it. It's the Holy Spirit living in us as we walk with him day by day, learning to walk in faith. But not only are we changed, but this group of people has changed. Now some of you, like me, have been part of a church that wasn't very good. Some of you, like me, have been a part of a group of people that did not embody the truth of the faith. Some of you, like me, have been hurt through that. And you walk into a place like this, and and your reaction, your feeling is like Anne and my feelings when we first came here. We come home. (laughs) This is where we belong. The difference between those churches is the spirit being manifested in that place. As much as I love you, you guys, you're not. You're not the reason. You're not. It's Christ living in you. It's the Spirit revealing himself and the Father to us and through us. I have to tell you that some of you may be thinking right now, so uh, why are we even talking about this? Why do we even need to know it? I mean, if things have been going on pretty good here, why are you even bringing this up? Isn't there a danger that some people are going to hear about the Spirit and they're going to go off the deep end? They're going to become one of those wild-eyed charismaniacs. I don't know if there's a danger in that. Maybe. But I know this. If there's any danger, it's not because of the Word of God. It's not because of this message. We're taught something in the Word that the, that the truth will set us free. And God is telling us these things. This is not me that's talking. It's the Word of God. And God tells us about His Spirit because He wants us to know. And, and if He didn't want us to know, He wouldn't have told us. <laughs> but He wants us to know. He wants to know he's there for us. He wants us to know that the only way we can ever live this life we've been called to is in his power. The first step, the first step to just to, to getting there, to learning that, is just to understand that truth. God is the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is in you and will work through you if you allow Him. Now that's the message today. Maybe not new to anything, anyone here. Maybe nothing I've said is new to you. But I know, I know, as much as I love you and as good a church as you are, you needed to hear what was said today. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thanks for um, for your patience, for your love, for the treasure of your word. Thank you for how faithful you are to speak to us. How faithful you are to follow through. How faithful you are to fulfill your words and your promises. We offer you ourselves this morning and again. In Jesus' name, amen.